Offshore Wind versus Onshore, September 20, 2023. A couple of weeks ago in Wind Power Faces a Tempest, we highlighted the challenges facing offshore wind both in the US and Europe. A good friend of mine, a lawyer who has made his career doing energy deals, took issue with the blog post. A spirited text message interaction ensued, continued in person over two rounds of golf together this weekend. Most lawyers are proficient debaters. Our younger daughter is heading to law school, perhaps inspired by my observation that she never loses an argument, just runs out of time. My legal friend eloquently argued his case in between paring most holes, challenging me to match him on two dimensions. My putting suggests I was more focused on the shortcomings of wind power. In the blog post, I used offshore wind power examples to illustrate the challenges facing the industry. The U.S. is almost all onshore wind, where the economics are better. Offshore wind power is more common in other countries, such as the U.K. I was criticized for conflating challenged U.S. offshore wind with far larger and generally successful onshore. The U.S. Energy Information Administration publishes data on wind power generation by state. In 2022, five states in the central U.S., Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, were responsible for half of our output. The administration has a goal of adding 30 gigawatts of offshore wind power by 2030. The U.S. Department of Energy reports that 52 gigawatts of offshore wind power is in development, half of which is off the coasts of New Jersey, New York, and Massachusetts. These are the economically challenged projects highlighted in the earlier blog, and also by RBN Energy. See when the wind blows, potential project cancellations highlight difficulties for offshore wind. Less than one gigawatt is under construction. The struggles of many offshore projects are threatening the 30 gigawatt goal. The U.S. has 145 gigawatts of installed onshore wind power capacity. The EIA reports that wind provides around 10% of our electricity, with natural gas at 40%. According to the Energy Institute Statistical Review of World Energy, renewables, mostly solar and wind, provided 8.8% of America's primary energy last year, up from 8% in 2021. Renewables are growing, but past energy transitions took decades, and so will this one. Natural gas rose from 32.2 to 33.1%. Renewables' percentage growth rate is much higher, but America's biggest source of added energy last year was natural gas. The intermittency of solar and wind remains a significant obstacle at higher levels of grid penetration. If weather-dependent energy is 5% of your power supply, a calm, cloudy day doesn't matter much, but at increased levels, it becomes part of the baseload. Electricity needs to be available 100% of the time. Batteries are becoming part of the solution, as are natural gas power plants, because they can adjust their power output fairly easily. But the low costs sometimes floated for renewables often ignore the needed backup. Germany, which generates a fifth of its primary energy from renewables, is an example of the consequent high energy prices that accompany such policies. California is another. Within the U.S., there's no clear link between wind power penetration and electricity prices. Iowa gets over half its power from wind and enjoys relatively cheap electricity. It must be a reliably windy place. By contrast, solar power does tend to correlate with higher prices. It's not just California, 18% solar, but states such as Massachusetts and Vermont, where one would think their northern latitudes render them unattractive locations. Prices are even more clearly linked with a state's politics. Red states have cheaper power than blue ones. Why would anyone want to live in a place that relies on intermittent power? 
It's not just climate extremists pushing the narrative that renewables are the complete solution to our energy needs. Liberal states such as New York and Massachusetts pursue policies that impede additional natural gas use. The Bay State has among the dumbest energy policies around. Six years ago, Enbridge gave up on their accessed northeast natural gas pipeline, which would have supplied New England with cheap Marcellus gas because of unsupportive policies in the region. Nonetheless, last year, 77% of electricity in Massachusetts came from gas, almost two times the U.S. average. Some of it was imported expensively from foreign countries as LNG. If we face an existential climate threat, these fanatics should also embrace nuclear power as a vital solution. Finding a place to store nuclear waste remains unresolved and costs are currently prohibitive. Georgia Power's Votal nuclear plant started operations in March, years late, and at $35 billion cost double the original estimate. But France gets 32% of its primary energy from nuclear. America is 7.6%. The global figure is 4%. We should emulate the French. My learned friend and I agreed on much, including that natural gas will be a significant energy source for the foreseeable future. But he was right to note that U.S. offshore wind is a trivial source of power today. Next time I'm putting for the win, he'll probably distract me with a positive comment about renewables. I'm betting I'll still make it.